people what episode are we in? Well, now you ask, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, There's six. Six or seven. <laughs> And welcome to episode 7 of The Film File. I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Meekin. And we've got some news, some movie reviews, and all things good. This is a show for film geeks, by film geeks. And first, a little bit of housekeeping. It's been a couple of weeks since we were last here. We're all feeling well? Well, it's more you. Are you feeling <laughs> well this weekend? <laughs> yeah, I think I just got attached to the uh, outbreak monkey. There's an outbreak <laughs> monkey somewhere in my life that keeps giving me this this cold. But yeah, for actually the first time in, well, three weeks since the, we did the last show, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling very, very so no good. no wild sneezes this week? No wild sneezes, no coughing and spluttering. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a bind. And then I play in a band and play in a gig the day after. And discovered the cure for the common cold is to play a gig because I just literally, I think I sweated the, the fever out of me on stage. Um, so we're not just bringing your movie news, we're also bringing your health tips. Health tips, yeah, yeah. So Play a gig, guys. If, you, if you're ever the... ill, form a band. Form a band, you'll get over it. Which I, I think of a, a quote somebody gave me yesterday, which um, people who drink a lot, you put five people who drink a lot in a room and they'll probably fight. People who smoke weed will probably form a band. <laughs> there you go. And I'm not advocating drugs at all, kids. It's just a Drugs joke. are bad, okay. So um, let's get straight into the news. What have we got news-wise, Andy? Well, let let's just quickly put to rest. No, I knew you were going to the ongoing this. news, which has been going on for far too long. Scorsese's opinions on what constitutes cinema. Now, Scorsese, I'm only want to mention it this week because Scorsese, over the past week and a half, did his full editorial piece that was published about his whole like justification for his thoughts and feelings. He didn't need to. Yeah, it should be done. He's got an opinion. You don't agree with it? Fine. There's things that you look at and go, I'm sure that everyone says Uwe Boll's films aren't film, aren't cinema. Who cares? Someone out there loves his films. Yeah. Someone out there will say that they are cinema. Everyone has their own opinion, and I don't think Scorsese needed to be put in the no, situation that he's I... defending his opinion. No, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very valid opinion. It's his opinion. I don't necessarily agree with it. I still think Scorsese is one of the greatest filmmakers ever. Uh, that won't change. I can't wait to see The Irishman. But there's no no need to carry this on. It, 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 I don't see the relevance of it. Yes, he has thoughts on it and clearly thoughts, which he's passionate about, which has come through. But I don't think we need to be seeing it. And of course, press have picked up on it and rolled on it, as we talked about in the last episode, and it just won't go away. But uh, we are where we are. There's nothing you can do. It will eventually die out. How it will die out, I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that it will it will just explode. But unless, like, an assassination attempt ends up relating to the whole thing, from this point onwards, we are not going to mention it on the show. No, no. If someone does take a rifle out and try to shoot Scorsese over his opinions, then obviously that'll be news. But yeah. I'm, I'm, or Galactus appears and tries to eat the planet. We might bring it up then. It could happen. Could happen. So moving on, what else have we got? So let, let's go to um, the Sonic the Hedgehog trailer. Now, the original trailer of this was released, what, about four or five months ago? Yeah, and it got much. A, utter backlash reception because Sonic looked weird. I mean, it's a cartoon hedgehog who's blue. So he's going to look very fast. He's going to look weird anyway. Yeah. But everyone was upset that he didn't look like the Sonic the Hedgehog from the video games. Yeah, now, I've played Sonic the Hedgehog, who hasn't, uh, especially people of our generation, so to speak. What was what was the, the principal design of it that, that the fans didn't like? The facial features were the biggest thing right. um, because Sonic has big, wide eyes. They tried to make it more like human-looking eyes and okay. smaller eyes. And like his nose didn't look right. His mouth wasn't quite There's something with right. the legs, if I remember. And like, the legs were like the legs of like a, a, an Olympic runner. Yes. Um, so they were too long. He didn't, he didn't have the dimensions that the right. Sonic of the video game had. And now? Now they've... Because, uh, you know, when that happened... All the backlash led to the filmmakers going, leave it with us, we're going to fix this for you. And they've released it, and everyone's fawning over it. It, it does look more like the video game one. It still doesn't look like a good film. Yeah, that's going to be the big point for it. Uh, I mean, kudos to the producers and the effects team for for listening. In a time when we are, we're very vocal that, that, that we're not being listened to as film fans, uh, not necessarily you and I, I'm, I'm thinking of the, sort of the, the majority out there, that the producers have taken heed, have taken it on board and gone back and addressed it. Um, knowing that they created a backlash, they didn't have to. It must have cost them money to do it. Hopefully they'll see the return on that. They made artistic choices. 
those artistic choices didn't go over well. It's a strange parable to the to the world that we now live in with with film fans that they have such a a, a voice that producers will now listen in fear of of course box office backlash. Is it a good thing? Can we not make decisions now as creative people without having to expect a backlash? I mean, every time there's a a Batman casting, there's a vocal backlash. Every time there's any casting that the fans don't see, there's a backlash. In this case, I think it worked out positively. uh, And it was something that was addressed with minimum amount of fuss, really, by the producers. Yeah, we screwed up. Hands in the air. We'll we'll go back and do it. I mean, there's still the conspiracy theory that it was all intentional. They knew if they dropped the trailer with a dubious CGI character that people would go, well, that looks like it could have been a good film, but they've ruined it with that character. So once they fix that character, everyone watches exactly the same trailer and goes, oh, ah, yeah, love it. They've listened to us. Yay, I'm on board. Just to give some statistics, 73.68% of tweets after the new trailer went out were positive about it. There's only 6.85 that were negative. The rest of them were like, oh, well, we'll give it a shot. Let's see how it goes. Um, Interestingly, the creator of the character, Yuji Naka, um, still has a problem with the design. Okay. Because in the video games, Sonic's eyes are actually linked together. It's like one big eye with two dots on it. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, so they're like, uh, like, almost so, like goggles. So he's basically said that it's more like Sonic now. He's got the gloves, he's got the shoes, and it looks more him. But the eyes are still are not joined together, as expected. I can't help but feel feel weird about that at one point. I think it would be even weirder... To have one big to eye. To have one big eye with two pupils on it yeah he's basically a cyclops but i think i think maybe you need to take what he said with a little pinch of salt and he was was being a bit like jokey about it but yeah i mean as a fan of the games it does look much more like sonic i'm looking forward to it in to a degree it's not high on my list of films that i want to see i'm interested in seeing it if there's a pressure i mean uh, the new design for the character it was uh, tyson hesse who's the artist who crafted the opening sequence to 2017's Sonic Mania game, who was drafted on board to redesign him for the film. I'm going to point something out now which is going to make me sound terribly old, but I played Sonic as one of the first video games I ever played when it was... Was it the PlayStation 1? Was that the first sort of... No, you're going back all the way back to like the Sega Master System. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. I played it on Sega Master. For the first um, Sonic game. Yeah. And then like it, it built up the popularity once the Mega Drive came out because it became like, the key thing for the Mega Drive. It was bundled with the package yeah, that's right. for buying the Mega Drive. And I think that's when mo- that's when I jumped on board the Sonic bandwagon. It was um, one of the first the Mega games, Drive I games I ever played. I don't think I ever finished it. I don't think I ever will. I, f- I finished it. I managed to collect all the Chaos Emeralds as well. On that. So proud of myself with that one. There's a knighthood on its way. Thank you. (laughs) What's next? Disney Plus. Yes. You might not have heard of this, but Disney have basically launched their own streaming services. It's not made a lot of news. It's not made much of a splash. Yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Don't even know what content they've You would have thought they would have promoted this for months leading up to it. Uh, I don't know any of the programmes on it. Well, we've We've got got a UK release date now. Which is March, I believe. End of March. It was all held up due to rights issues that they've negotiated, particularly in the UK, with Sky. Oh, okay. Um, Is that the Disney Channel? Sky have the Disney Channel, and they also had exclusivity rights to all the Disney films on first show. So they had to wait until that deal was ready to renew, and they're just not renewing it before they can actually launch Disney+. Plus. Because I'm sure there must have been a conspiracy theory as to why we've not got it. There's also, I mean, even on the US release, there's some properties that are still tied into deals with other streaming services. I mean, Netflix still have a couple of things, a couple of the films there, which they can't put on Disney Plus until they've expired on the rights. Yeah, they've still got some of the Marvel films, haven't they? Netflix? Yeah, and, and Disney Plus will never get the um, Spider-Man films because it's Sony. Yeah. And Sony are like, well, no, pay us. Pay oh, us. And eventually they'll pay have us. their own streaming service, as everyone will have their own streaming service. Uh, but it launched this week in the US. With the big news being uh, The Mandalorians, which is a Star Wars spin-off directed by Jon Favreau. Yep, uh, created and directed by Jon Favreau, and I've managed to see it. Okay. And what I can say about The Mandalorian is it's everything that I wanted the separate stories set within the Star Wars universe to be. Everything that let me down on Rogue One and Solo, etc., was that they were too tied in to the current films, and it felt like they were having to pay reference to the current films and it wouldn't break out from that numbered chain. Rather than expand the Rather universe. than just go, there's a huge galaxy here. 
we can tell any story in that galaxy. Because what I've loved about, like, in the comics and books is whenever they've done things which aren't linked to, like, the Skywalker story, yeah. it's a completely different feel. And the Mandalorian has that different feel. Yes, it's pure Star Wars. The opening scene is going into a bar filled with alien races that you'll recognise the races of as, like, he's seeking out, like, someone's taken as a bounty. But it doesn't hammer it home. It's just the backdrop for which this story about a bounty hunter wearing Mandalorian armour who never takes his helmet off. Very similar to Boba Fett, but not Boba Fett. Okay. And, it, I mean, there's there's a great nice reveal at the end of the first episode that I'm not going to drop a spoiler off because I'm aware that our UK viewers who don't want to um, use VPNs to go and access stuff will be waiting until March. But it is a treat to watch. I'm it's looking beautifully to it. shot. The whole look and feel of it is grittier than what you expect Star Wars to be. It's what Rogue One looked like it was going to be. Right. Dark and gritty, but then it suddenly became, oh, it's just a Star Wars film. I was captivated after that first episode, and I can't wait to see how it goes forwards. What's the running time per episode? You're looking at like 30 minutes, 35 oh, really? minutes. It's, it's only short hour. episodes. That's interesting. So it's um, it's nice little nuggets. Looking forward to it. Of course, there's the, uh, as well as the Star Wars uh, universe that's going to explore, it's going to explore the Marvel universe. Yep, the Marvel TV shows, which they've been pitching the whole Disney Plus on. I mean, they're coming along later down the road. They're going to get drip-fed out over the next few years. But the latest news with regards to the Marvel TV shows on Disney Plus is that they are going to link in to the films. And characters from the TV shows who are introducing the TV shows will likely pop up in the films as part of the ongoing story. Now, the big one I've heard is that WandaVision... Yep. is going to tie in to the Doctor Strange thing, uh, yep. sequel. Which is interesting, because we were just talking about this pre-recording, because we do actually plan this. Uh, we were talking about the fact that there was uproar, that the Netflix Marvel Universe uh, hasn't tied in, as far as the, the cinematic universe has tied into that, even though it was referenced in the, in the TV shows. Uh, and now fans are in uproar because it's now tying into the... To <laughs> it's the... bizarre. It's, it's like, what do they want? They were campaigning for Daredevil to pop up in the films. They were campaigning for like all of like the Defenders yeah, to like, have some Yeah, should have been impact. in the Avengers one. But now that it's going to be happening on the future service, people are like, well, well what if I don't watch this TV show? It's like, well, the film, I'm pretty sure, will work as a standalone. Yeah. And these characters that come into it, it will have enough information for if you've never watched the shows, you will get that these super characters exist within this super world because they've done it on the films before. They've just thrown characters in that you've never recognised. And they're just, if you're a comic book fan, you go, oh, I know who that is. And you can encounter it. And that's all that it is. It's another variation on having some extra information. If you're a dedicated fan and like you divulge into all this extra content, be it the comics, be it novels, be it TV shows, you will get the Easter eggs, you'll get the references, but it won't interfere with the enjoyment of the story on film if you haven't explored it. Now, this does, you know, my praise for Feige, but it it really ties into the way that Marvel Comics used to be. And this is what set originally for those uh, who've been reading comics for a lifetime. The Marvel Universe comics, that's what what made them extraordinary when you first start, because the events in Spider-Man would tie into and events in the Avengers and Fantastic Four. It was all set in the same universe and, and, and DC sort of came along with that. They were... DC was very much all standalone issues. It just feels like that. It feels like yeah, the early days of Marvel. It, well, it, even today with comic book crossovers, they're clever in the way that they do the stories. That if you read The Amazing Spider-Man on a regular basis, and then the the storyline is like seeding into like Captain America or something else. If you don't want to read Captain America, it's okay because the Spider-Man story will tell you all the information that you need to know about that character and keep you up to speed with the basic story. Just consider the TV shows as comic book crossover spin-offs. If you want to watch them, you can do. If you don't, it's not going to interrupt your enjoyment of the films. Feige has confirmed that Ms. Marvel, She-Hulk, Moon Knight will all appear in the films after their TV debuts. Uh, They're the three main characters that he's spoken about. Interesting to see how Moon Knight's going to then fit into the... Yeah, um, I mean, for those who don't know Moon Knight, if you, if you are here for the film side and not the, the geeky comic side, Moon Knight originally appeared in Werewolf by Night. Boy, what a reference. And was very much a sort of a, a, a Batman-esque, we can use the word rip-off, I'm sure, yeah. uh, but influenced by Batman and has become his own thing. Um, an interesting character who's 
got dimensions now which have set him aside from just being a, 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 a Batman-type character. So I'm interested to see how it plays it out. I always thought that Moon Knight would play better on the small screen rather than the big screen because I think there's a complexity to his character. The fact that he's he's got all these different personalities, this schizophrenia to him, uh, um, would would work better over episodic TV. Interesting to see Moon Knight. Of course, I'm interested to see all of them. Um, I'd be interesting to see how they play into the big, fuller Marvel universe. But now it is a, a, a cinematic universe, which is on uh, which is on scope of, of what the comics were doing, which is everything as a kid we'd hoped for and prayed for. We're living in good times, folks. See, I'm extremely excited to see Ms. Marvel. I adore that comic book. I think that it's doing what early Spider-Man did. Yeah. It's got that teenager coming to grips with their powers and making mistakes along the way with a flippancy and humour to it that really carries it through. It's such a well-defined and like lovable character. I'm excited to see what they do with her on screen. And, and for me, she's one of those characters. I've only read a couple of the books. I've, I, not that I wasn't a fan, but in, in, the, in the stream of books that I read, it just didn't make the grade for me, didn't make the cut. But I thought it was well done. I liked it. If I had more time and more money, I would probably, uh, probably give it a better go. However, I think she's, again, a character that works best not in a standalone movie, but works in a serialised format. Series, and especially with the effects uh, and the guidance that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has got, I think she'll work really well. In addition with Disney+, Plus, uh, there's been a few controversies since it launched. Already? On the opening day of it, they didn't anticipate the demand and the servers crashed. Wow. And so people were finding that they were having buffering issues or simply content just vanished Wow. Um, over the first 24 hours. Seems to have all stable stabilized now, so they obviously got straight onto it once they realized. But this happens with everything. I mean, even even in video games, World of Warcraft. Every time they do a major patch release, servers will crash because all of a sudden, all the old gamers who stopped playing for a while will all flood back, and they they couldn't re- as much as they can say. Well, if thirteen million people log on, but you can't dictate how those thirteen million people are going to log on. Yeah. And if everyone's trying to access Disney Plus at the same time on this opening day, of course the servers are going to struggle. Because it bottlenecks the traffic. And talking of services not struggling, have you tuned in yet to Apple Plus? I've not, no. I've not. I Because I've recently bought a new phone, I fall into the category of getting a, a year's free subscription and have not been drawn to anything yet. <laughs> which is disappointing because I'd, I'd like to be. Yeah. I'm always a sucker for, for new content. I'm always a sucker for something that's challenging. But there's nothing yet that, that's brought me that's in. caught your eye. Uh, there's the Ron Moore series, which I think I will probably go to, but I'm waiting to see. There's only, I think, believe four or five new new series out there. So it's interesting that I've not not jumped at that, but I have so much to catch up on anyway at the best of times. I've started on series two of Jessica Jones this week just to, to get back into that in case it disappears over the next next year or so. Well, I just had a few weeks of them playing catch up on all the DC TV shows because uh, me now TV box said that there's only 28 days left, and I realised I was two two seasons behind on each of them. Right. And I literally, right up to the last minute, and caught up with The Flash. <laughs> okay. Got Supergirl caught up with, got The Flash caught up with. I'm up to date, finally. Fantastic. In addition on Disney+, Plus, other controversies, the handling of The Simpsons episodes. They've got the cropped versions. Oh, really? Because um, when it felt like, oh, it was like for the first like, 10, 11 seasons, it was... It was, yeah, it was. Uh, it was TV three. Frame, four three. Yeah, and rather than having the option to be able to show them in four three or stretch, they've gone for the ones that are cropping top and bottom, so right? So it fits the screen, which means that some visual gags are getting missed because Simpsons has always been quite self-referential on some of the visual elements, like in the asides. Yeah, and some jokes are getting missed because of the cropping. In addition, Star Wars landed there, and people watching A New Hope for like the 400th time, was suddenly startled by Greedo suddenly blurting out another word. Is it McCluskey? McCluskey. McCluskey with a D. Lucas made tweaks to all the films before he sold the rights to Disney. Disney seemed to have been unaware that these tweaks had been made. So they've started showing the properties that he's given them. And it's only as the backlash has gone, hang on a minute, what's happened here? That they're going, ooh, ooh, what's George, what's George done now? <laughs> Does Greedo still fire first? I've not watched it, so I can't confirm, but no doubt he probably still does. That really bad aim that he had where he couldn't shoot someone sat two feet ahead of him. Shot in the air, doesn't he, if I remember? I've only ever seen it once. You see, there's little bits of the tweaking that I enjoyed on New Hope, but they were more to do with effects. Yeah. 
the, the destruction of the Death Star looked, looked better. The uh, land speeder looks great. I, I was all for those little effects tweakings. And, and from what I remember in Empire, it's very minimal, isn't it? It's a lot of backdrop. And I mean, Cloud City looks amazing. Yeah. The fly through of Cloud City and also through all the windows on the interior shots, you see like elements of Cloud City and yeah. it makes it really look grandiose. But I think Star Wars A New Hope is where he went a little bit overboard. And of course, Greedo fires first. Uh, the final bit of controversy is obviously Disney has an interesting track record with um, the, the history of films with um, some very, shall we say, time-inappropriate elements, which they've acknowledged. You now get, on films like Dumbo, The Aristocats, Lady and the Tramp, etc., a little warning that the cartoons you're about to see are products of their time. They may depict some of the ethnic and racial prejudices that were commonplace in American society. These depictions were wrong then and wrong today. Whilst these cartoons do not represent today's society, they have been presented as they were originally created, because to do otherwise would be the same as claiming these prejudices never existed. I totally agree with that. I, I would rather they do that. They preserve the art, but acknowledge that it is an art reflective of its time. You can appreciate the film as it was, but you get to understand that it's not something that would be acceptable today. We are products of our time. We can't help it. There will be a generation, several generations will look back and we think we're... we're, we're, we're you know, we're fairly liberal in our, our thinking. We'll look back on our time and we'll see issues in the way that we treated animals, for instance, and, yeah. you know, starting to come through. I think there will be something for every generation to look back and say, that was wrong. But to destroy art uh, and to censor art is, is an abhorrent idea. Yeah. They are products of their time. We can't escape it. There might have been an innocence. There might have been a, a, a sense of what they were doing was inconsequential at the time, but it happened. Get over it. It's part of our history. We cannot go back the way George Lucas does and retinker <laughs> everything to fit a modern day audience. And I would rather they would put some sort of disclaimer at the front rather than go back and tamper or to try and change it or even worse, to censor it and cut it in a way that, that wasn't beholden to what the original piece of work was. We have moved on and I think it's a recognition that we've moved on that we can now express that. I'm sure there will be within the Twitter sphere, um, which will sadden me because I'm, I'm, I'm constantly saddened by Twitter, where people will be screaming that these films shouldn't exist. They should exist. They exist to what they are. We are allowed now to question them and question the motives behind it. That's the freedom we've got with hindsight and history. That's Lee's soapbox for this week. Those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Exactly. So you need these things to remind you so you can go, well, yeah. we're in a better place now. Whether we're going to get Song of the South or the Disney streaming service, who knows? Have you ever seen Song of the South? Only the clips. When Remember when our t BBC used to do little clip yeah. shows of Disney things? I've only seen the clips of it that were ever shown on that. I saw it as a kid. And maybe because I'm white and British, I don't remember those elements to it. I remember the cartoon elements to yeah. it. I don't remember it being racist. I was probably about six, so probably wouldn't have registered anyway. But I don't, again, I don't think anything, I don't think it should be censored. I think if it's going to be presented again, it should be presented as a disclaimer at the, at the front of it and let people make their own minds up because I'd rather make my own mind up on something. I'm fine if I disagree with it, then, then have something banned. So let's move from one streaming service to everyone's favourite streaming service, Netflix, and them helping Paramount Pictures bring Beverly Hills Cop 4. Because I don't think Beverly Hills Cop 4 would work at the uh, work in the movies anymore. I think too much time has passed. And we've, we talked about Eddie Murphy a couple of weeks ago. Yes, he's found a home with Netflix. And I've still not got around a chance to go and see the latest film, which looks very funny. Yes. And I think I think I think it works. It'll work very well on Netflix because and we've said this over previous episodes, executives are making decisions based on on franchises, which may be a long gone. We're looking at you, Terminator Dark Fate. His latest film, Dolomite is my name. That's the one I was yeah. trying to eagerly trying to still not had a chance to watch it. Myself. No, me neither. You know, Paramount have worked with Netflix on a few things, Cloverfield Paradox and Annihilation. Paramount haven't had a great year for cinema releases. Dark Fate suffered a dark mm. fate. So it kind of makes sense that if they're going for a risky venture of like bringing a fourth film in a franchise that maybe doesn't need the fourth film, then Netflix is a great opportunity for them to get that funding for them. And it would probably get more of an audience via the Netflix streaming. 
Absolutely. I mean, uh, Dolomite's done very, very well from what I've heard. I mean, you never know with Netflix. They, they don't release viewing figures, but uh, apparently Word has, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a good film. Eddie Murphy back on form. Interesting that, that, that Netflix is is the right platform for it. It's It replaces straight to video. Uh, and with the replace the straight to video, and if you see where I'm going with this, what with Gravitas? Yeah, because uh, straight straight to VHS used to always be like that. Oh, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Oh, if something's going straight to home release, then it's going to be bad. But now, that, I mean, we we've, we've spoken about this before that the, there's a blurred line between cinema and home entertainment now, and there's so many like strong directors and creators who are happy to work work in both mediums, and we've got the Irishman. Yes, absolutely. Which that will always be the cornerstone. testament of this is where home entertainment is. That home, straight to streaming, is not a negative thing. Straight to streaming is a great way for filmmakers to have more freedom and tell the story that they want to tell without some executive telling them, oh, well, it's not financially viable here, so you need to tweak that, you need to tweak that. It gives them a lot more creativity. That's where we're at with Netflix. Warner Brothers are reviving another much-loved, beloved old franchise. Oh, no, what, what have we got this week? So on Reboot Week this week <laughs> is um, Rin Tin Tin. Now, there is going to be at least 75% of our audience going, who the heck is Rin Tin Tin? So Rin Tin Tin was a German shepherd dog. It was. Um, which was actually responsible for, I mean, it's credited as saving Warner Brothers Studios from bankruptcy in the 20s during the um, silent era of films, and built up a whole range of films throughout a couple of decades. And a TV series. And the animate. I actually, there was an animated TV series as I well. I believe there was, yeah. yeah. They're now reinventing him for the modern day, and they're referring to him as effectively the John Wick of dogs. It's going to be an elite military dog sent on covert missions to prevent large-scale attacks. And part of me thinks, really? And another part of me thinks, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm down with that. That's interesting. I, I I think by if it's if it's going to be a feature film series by the second movie, it'll be a cyborg dog. It's a uh, Matt Lieberman who's penned Scoob, the new Scooby Doo movie. Enough um, said. We'll move on. The recent Adams Family and Playing with Fire. He's penning the script, and Jeff Miller will produce. Interesting. Well, you know, there's 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 big room for kids' films and kids' audiences. Uh, we've just had the Adams Family, which my son thought was fantastic. Absolutely adored. Uh, even though it gained withering reviews from adults, he thought it was. He thought it was fantastic. I think the problem with the adults is that you know we loved Sonnenfeld's double whammy of yes, Adam's family and Adam's family values. Great cast, marvelous films. In a way, it's good that they went for an animated approach this time because that way you went sat. You wouldn't be sat there going, oh, "Well, I much prefer Raul Julia," and I yeah. much prefer. You know, they've done a different approach, and like you say, the the young that they're not aware of these older properties. Yeah, they're seeing them fresh. And so they're getting the enjoyment, whereas like, it's hard for us with our rose-tinted glasses of um, even the black and white series as kids growing up watching that on TV. It's hard for us to accept a modern interpretation. So Adam's Family, yeah, I'm willing to give it a shot when it comes out on home release. Shall we move on to our review this week? Well, I just want to quickly mention Blue Mouse Productions because they've released a trailer this week oh, for a film yes, that has really caught my attention. And again, it's reboot time. It's Fantasy Island. Right. Okay. For those 75% who might not remember Fantasy Island, again, I'm showing my age. I do. Do you remember it? Oh, yes. The plane, boss, the plane. So it was a weekly TV series in which uh, it was sort of anthology based to a degree. I was kind of like a, a slightly supernatural love boat. So a group of characters would turn up on Ricardo Montalban playing Mr. Rourke. Mr. Rourke and Hervé Vilches as his, as his uh, sidekick would turn up on this uh, this island and get to live out a moment of, of life, a, a fantasy that they always wanted. And there was always sort of a moralistic end. However, the very first pilot episode, which I do remember, uh, the series was, was bland. Uh, I think it lasted a couple of series. I think the, the, the Herb Vilches, the plane boss, the plane boss was, was the most memorable thing about it. But the pilot was very, very dark. The pilot played with this sort of supernatural element uh, reminiscent of uh, a little bit of Westworld that had been out at the time. I think it was, it was sort of a creative uh, wave from 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 the from the Westworld movie, um, and had a much darker tone to it. However, when it came, went to series, as, as was usually, it became bland American TV. By the look of the trailer, which uh, landed this week, it, it's recreating that darker supernatural edge to it, 
with a, a new cast. Yeah, and there's names like Michael Rooker's in there, Lucy Hale, Jimmy O'Yang, uh, Charlotte McKinney, Austin Stowell, Maggie Q. Who's and, playing and uh, Mr. Rourke? Michael Pena. Oh, great choice. Uh, uh, and Who comes across as that enigmatic and charismatic owner of the island quite well in the trailer. It's a t- It looks like typical Bloomhouse. Yes. And Bloomhouse don't... For me, they've not really let me down. Everything that they've made, I've enjoyed to some degree. Yeah. And I think that, you know... It, it's got that. It's got that good mystery element, and going for the darker approach. I mean, the trailer teases so much twisted material in there. I'm excited for this one. Um, it looks very dark. It does. It does edge more towards a darker supernatural film that you would expect from Bloomhouse than the original TV series. And if you're going to release a film which is about like dark, twisted fantasies, when would you release it? Obviously, Valentine's Day. Oh, is that its release? February the fourteenth is going to be the release day for this. I think it'd be a great date movie. I'm really looking forward to it. Did you know they brought the TV series back at one point? Yeah, um, with I Malcolm did. McDowell, yeah, playing Mr. Rourke. It didn't last particularly long as it was reboot territory. Uh, I never got to see it, so I don't know if it embraced the darker side. But interesting. I'm glad they've gone this route because I always remember the pilot, and the pilot was very dark. Had Bill Bixby, and it was one of my favourite actors of, the, of that generation. Right, so, jumping into our uh, featured review this week. There's a lot of movies out that, due to time constraints, due to floods in this end of the world, we've not got a chance to see uh, a lot of movies. So this is appearing a little bit late. Bear with us, because we're going to talk about something much bigger. But Le Mans 66 is out this week. It is, yes. Uh, we, we There's also Last Christmas has just been released. Last Christmas, which, uh, you know, despite it being a Christmas film... I've heard very good things about it and I'm quite interested to see. So we're a little bit behind with our, our usual reviews. So we are going to go back, look at Dr. Sleep that was released last week. You're running away from something? From myself, I guess. You're magic. Like me. I always called it The Shining. When I was a kid, there was a place. You still owe a debt. Pay it. Nobody shines like you, Doc. Doctor Sleep. So my review, have you got to see it yet? I've got to see it, yep. Um, so for those who don't know, it's based on the novel by Stephen King. It's got Hugh McGregor now as the grown-up Danny Torrance, who was the kid in The Shining. He's still plagued by memories and also ghosts of the Overlook Hotel and follows his father's footsteps of becoming an alcoholic. He hits rock bottom, jumps on a coach, goes to a backwater town and starts to put his life back into gear. Gets, like, buddied up straight away by a handyman who also had an alcoholic past. And so he takes him under his wing, takes him to AA. And as he gets his life into gear, he starts to tap into his shine again, which is the name that they gave to his psychic powers. And when he does that, he starts to get messages from a young girl called Abra, who seems to be able to telepathically talk to him and communicate with him. And then it moves ahead in time, a significant amount of time, as she's growing up and he's managed to make a life for himself as... Doctor Sleep, working as a janitor in an old person's home and helping people pass over to the other side with happy memories. Uh, and and into this mix, their powers or her powers in particular attract the attention of a group of psychic vampires led by Rose the Hat, played fantastically by Rebecca Ferguson, who will stop at nothing to hunt down Abra yeah. and The true knot have been around for eons. Yeah, they are referenced in the film. They steal shine energy from young children and teenagers and feed off it and stall any excess that they've got so they can keep feasting, keep feasting. But the shine's been running low on supplies recently. When Abra hits their attention, it's because she's got a shine which is more powerful than they've ever encountered and they know that they'll be able to feast for maybe centuries on her energies. It's brought to us by Mike Flagan, who did the House on Haunted Hills TV series that was on Netflix and Gerald's Game. It's based on Stephen King's follow-up, as you said, to the to The Shining, which is a book that I kind of enjoyed. And I'm I'm gonna say this, which doesn't often happen with, with, with Stephen King adaptations. I think this is a better film than is than the book was. I felt that the book and, and some of the film suffers for this. It didn't have the gravitas of the shining. The Shining was a, a important novel, and of course Kubrick's film was an important film. It's one of the the books and films that that really threw King into the public consciousness in a way that uh, many of the horror writers hadn't. And Doctor Sleep as a book didn't have that weight 
and wasn't even the size of the original Shining. And therefore, I, I walked away from the book being a little bit, little bit disappointed. I liked elements of it. I like the psychic vampires. I like uh, Rose the Hat as a character. Rose the Hat is a perfect example of how good Stephen King is at creating villains. Yes. Charismatic villains. And it, yeah, I, I'm a bit of a fan of the book. It suffers from what most Stephen King books suffer from, that it doesn't quite stick the landing. Yeah. He always seems to have trouble ending it. But it was a book that I read within like 48 hours. As soon as I started reading it, I just fell straight into the story and I got a lot from it. I was excited for a film adaptation. I was excited to see particularly how they would have got Rose the Hat. Yes. And um, the true knot depicted. And I think they've done a stellar job of it. Captured it perfectly. You can see that Mike Flanagan's a fan and is a Stephen King fan. And clearly is a fan of Kubrick's The Shining, which, interestingly enough, if you know your lore, King never liked. He, He seriously disliked it. In fact, went ahead and made... Uh, with Mick Garris, uh, a, a TV version which was much closer to his book. And at the end of the book uh, and the end of the movie were two very, very different animals. And in, in, the, um, in the book, he, he approached those and uh, basically had a slight kickback at, at Kubrick on it. But the, but the film walks a very clever line, I think. It toes it perfectly. Yeah. It uses the book, the core story of the book. The first like, hour is more or less lifted. It is, yeah. And those, those were the faults with the film for me because it's it was slightly, it was too spread out with with characters not meeting for an awful long time, which was the fault of the book and the fault of the source material. And I think they managed to to move it along in a way within the movie that that gave it much more sense of importance, but really dragged for me in the book. However, as you said, they towed the line perfectly between honouring Kubrick, which you can't make a Shining sequel without honouring Kubrick. I'm right afraid. from the opening shot, it's like Overlook Hotel. References, shots, references, the imagery, even having cast which look very similar to, uh, especially Shelley Duvall, and there's a sequence which, which, yeah. uh, uh, which comes back to that. Uh, Ewan McGregor's great in it. He's, he's kind of an unsung hero these days, Ewan McGregor. He does very, very solid work. He's, as he's got older, he's becoming much more of a character actor. Didn't know it's the accent that some people have in some reviews. It's not a particularly scary film. Uh, where... There's some truly chilling moments in there. Yeah, there's, there's some jumps. It doesn't rely on jump the, cuts, which is the, really... I, I mean, I th- the, without spoiling anything, um, the, the True Knots feeding is one of the most harrowing scenes that I've seen on yeah, film this year. It's very gratuitous uh, in a way that horror movies should be. I don't see this as a horror movie. I think it's a supernatural movie, and yeah. that's the kind of horror that I, I personally like. I thought it, it worked very, very well. It's a shame it's not found an audience. No. I love, like, th- there's so many things about it. I mean, I love the, the framing of everything. I, I'm, I'm a sucker for a good cinematographer, and I love some of the shots and some of the, like, emulation of shots from The Shining. Yeah are done so well. But also, I love the music and the noises and the constant beating of the heart, beating of the heart motif that keeps coming back. And it really, like, I, I was starting to, like, I could feel my own heartbeat starting to race when that starts to race. And it, it drew me in. It does a much better ending than what the book did. Okay, spoiler moment now. If you've not seen the film and you're intending to see the film, we, we will talk a little bit about the uh, about the ending. Skip ahead to our neat things but yeah it, it really resolves the ending much better than the book did and it resolves Kubrick's The Shining as well in yeah. a way that uh, it, it it deserved uh, I really thought the uh, the ending was where it pulled it out of the bag for me The Overlook Hotel becomes an important character in the yes. film whereas it wasn't particularly an important character in the book of Doctor Sleep No because if I remember correctly the hotel is destroyed in yeah, the Yeah, it's just the True Knot have their main camp based there. Yeah. But that's not the actual story in here. The True Knot aren't based at the Overlook. There's, the Overlook's got its own purpose within the film. And I think it really works well for the resolution. Absolutely. That they're drawn there. And it gives a, a better ending to uh, Danny Torrance's narrative as well. That, I'm not saying that the, the book didn't, it was much more optimistic there's a, there's a different sense of optimism within the movie without giving too much away. But yeah, overall, I really liked it. And and we're into this new King territory at the moment. Um, Gerald's Game was on uh, Netflix that Mike Flanagan directed. We've had the remake of Pet Cemetery, uh, It Chapter 2. And well, it's now become du jour again to start remaking I mean, and making. Also on TV, we've got The Creep Show 
TV series. We've got Mr. Mercedes, Castle Rock. We've got the new version of The Stand coming for yep. uh, the CBS streaming uh, system in in the states, which we will, I'm assuming we'll get on Netflix over here. HBO has got The Outsider. Oh, was there? I didn't know that. Yeah, one. Um, Lisey's story is getting adapted, and there's still going to be the ad- adaptation for TV of The Dark Tower, which is going to be more faithful to the book series than what that misjudged film was. I've still not seen it, and don't know whether I'm going to be drawn to it. There are a couple of uh, Easter eggs actually at Dark Tower in. Doctor Sleep, I noticed as well. Some great Easter eggs in, in, in the film. On film-wise, we've got the new version of Salem's Lot in production. There's The Long Walk getting adapted. From a Buick 8 is getting adapted. And also Mile 81, Rest Stop, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, Firestarter and Tommy Knockers. So there's a lot of Stephen King properties getting snapped up at the moment. And some will no doubt go the way of Pet Cemetery remake. Yes. Which was just unnecessary not good, but then again, the first Pet Cemetery film wasn't good because no. Pet Cemetery as a book isn't good. Oh, isn't it? You see, I love Pet Cemetery. I, I, I was never a fan. I read it, and I, I it's one of those uh, books that I remember because I, I was, I was super sick at the time, and I read Pet Cemetery because I, I couldn't get out of bed and and and, and plowed through it and really enjoyed Pet Cemetery. You look back on the uh, the Mary Lambert Pet Cemetery with, with a little bit with Rose uh, Rose. Tinted glasses because it, it it felt better. It felt complete as the way that the remake didn't. There were some nice touches in the remake. It completely blew the ending um, and, and the twist that they tried to do in Pet Cemetery with with which child died didn't work for me at all. It didn't have that shock value that no. the way that the, the book did and, and and the original film did. But it's not a great and that's and Mary Lambert's version is is mainly disappointing down to poor casting. I, I think that's what what destroyed it. If it had the gravitas of the cast, of a better cast, it would have been a better film. But it's interesting because now there's a sense of reverence to, to King, which there have been numerous adaptations, as we know. I think maybe as, as King enters into his twilight years, there's much more need to stick closer to what makes King's stories best. Because at heart, they're all B-movies yeah, and B-books that he just writes. He's an incredibly talented writer, very talented at creating characters. But the the plots are a vampire story or a haunting or a, a creature. A and trouble, or a troubled writer has dark thoughts. Yeah, they are the very stable of, of, of B-movies, but he does it very, very well. And I'm looking forward to seeing where, especially Salem's Lot, which I still hold very dear, the Toby Hooper yeah. TV version, which is one of the first things that absolutely terrified me. And I'm really tempted. I'd really like to see again. See if it holds up. I mean, I've been a fan of Stephen King since, well, a far too early an age when I started reading his books because my mum was reading his books. And it was actually The Stand was the first book that I read about wow. age 10. But by that point, I'd already read Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, so big volumes didn't put me off. And I absolutely adored The Stand. And that, from that point on, which was like, snap that up, snap that, I want to read Carrie, I want to read Firestarter, and then obviously on the home VHS releases, my mum would like rent us VHSs and get us things that she maybe shouldn't have rented for us. But she knew that I was a fan of Stephen King, so I got to see all the VHS releases. And I've, I've always wanted to see good Stephen King on the big screen. Yes. Sadly, it means that I've sat through some absolute... Yeah, I've seen some thrill. pretty poor... But over the decades, we've had like great ones. I mean, not only is Shawshanks and Green Miles, Misery, but Misery is possibly one yeah. of the best adaptations of the Stephen King book. When they work well, it's when they add, they are the heart. The heart of the book is what's kept on screen, and the changes necessary to make a, a book into a into a film adaptation. The first part of it worked really well because it, it, it felt very true to the book. Second part, not so much. But that's when. King works at its best on the big screen when the heart of the story and the intent of the story remain intact. And when they go off like a lawnmower man, enough said. <laughs> and and, oh, uh, and I've managed and, to block that one from my memory. Thanks yeah, for bringing that one back. back. I've, just, I've done a little bit of research over the. Over I the even last I weeks. even like Maximum Overdrive more than Lawnmower Man, and that wasn't a good film. That wasn't a good film. That was Stephen King trying to direct a uh, film himself and showing that stick to the writer, mate, stick yeah, to the writer. Better and he's the first to admit that. Maybe he shouldn't have been behind the camera on that one. There's there's more remakes than I imagined. I, 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 I did some research, as I said. How many Carrie remakes have been? How There's a, a remake yeah. of Maximum Overdrive uh, with the original title of Trucks out there as well. And uh, there was a, a Rob Lowe version of Salem's Lot. Do you remember that? Yes. Uh, which wasn't too bad, but it just didn't have that sense of, 
of horror that the Toby Hooper version did. So it'd be interesting. If you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us via... At Filmfile UK on Twitter. And we'd be interested to know which Stephen King films you like the best, what remakes you would like to see. I'll put my hand up straight away and say Firestarter. I know it's in development. I'd like to see Firestarter done well. But what are your favourite Stephen King adaptations and what remakes you'd like to see? And if you just want to leave any comments, any news or anything we should be talking about here at The Film File, please get in touch and please subscribe if this is your first time. If it's your first time, we hope it was a good time. (laughs) So before we round up today, um, shall we just... We've said for the past couple of weeks of recording, like Watchmen TV series. Yeah, um, I finally last, got around last to time. I got I was the only one who watched it, so we didn't want to talk about it. So you've now watched the first two episodes. Of I've seen the first two, uh, and I think it's an impressive TV series that I'm not yet overly won over by. And I think maybe that's my love of Watchmen, the the, the comics. Yes, I really says graphic novel, but it started off as a 12-issue comic run. But I find it interesting, and I find the themes are very bold. I went back and did my research onto the incident that happens in Tulsa at the beginning of the first episode and found that was a true event. Uh, and I, I think it's been brushed under the carpet in reality. Absolutely. Having built it, been to Tulsa as well and didn't know anything about it, I'm, I'm interested. I think it's a very bold series that plays with, with big themes. I'm surprised Alan Moore shunned it as much as he will because the way that the comic did spoke about uh, the sense of, of, of the Cold War and the, and the way that we felt in the 80s that, that, that this might be it. Uh, and he covered that very well and it talks about racism. For those of people who've, and I've read a few lines on Twitter that thrown their hand, hands in the air and screamed and held onto the pearls, that this is a political TV series. Did you not read the original comics? Have you <laughs> yeah, only he, seen the Zack Snyder version? Because it's a very, very political comic. The, and this is the a very TV, series TV series does a great job of making it relevant to the politics and social themes that we live in today. Absolutely. It's very much like, it, it's designed to provoke, you know, so all the people complaining saying, why is it talking about this? It's like, because it wants you to think about it. I love uh, Regina King. Yes. In the lead role in it. Sister Midnight. Yeah, uh, she's absolutely engrossing on screen. But as it gets like the third episode and fourth episode starts to weave in a lot more of like Silk Spectre and um, Ozymandias. Um, Interesting. You get to see a lot more. And I still don't know what Ozymandias is actually up to. Yes. Um, I don't know what's going on because when you get to episode four, oh, I, I, oh, I need to talk about this one when, when you get to it because... There's stuff going on that's like, whoa, where is this going to lead? And this is what I'm liking about it. Is it's slow. It, it was a slow burner for the first couple of episodes to sow the seeds. And then it's just starting to pick up and start to pick up. I love the I love the fact that he said that this series is one story and it will be a complete story. So it's not going to have a cliffhanger and that any future series will be anthology stories, maybe drawing on some aspects, but doing their own thing. Because I know that what it's building to is going to hopefully pay off and it won't just leave you, leave you hanging. Absolutely brilliant. I, I'm thoroughly en- engrossed in it. I love the design aesthetic of it as well. I love that the Watchmen title is done in a different way yes. each episode. I started to notice that. I'm it's wondering very if that's comic book. The, the episode names are like either on the floor yes. or they're on walls. And it's it just... Because it's like that first panel of the comic books where everything's just part of the background and scenery. And I think it emulates that well. Like you say, Alan Moore distances himself from all of the projects. But I think this is the one that he'd probably be proudest of the legacy of. Absolutely, because it it, it talks in the same style that Alan Moore set up and, and is a worthy successor. You think of the way it could have gone. I would like to have seen Watchmen, the original Watchmen, done as a HBO series rather than the Zack Snyder film. The Zack Snyder film did the thing. It was it was very true to the uh, true to the comic, but it missed the boat in, in so many ways. And there's bits of it I do like. I would rather have seen it as a gritty, episodic... Direct with, adaptation, 12 episodes. Yeah, and done well and done... And it was too slick for me. That was the, the main problem. I never saw the Watchmen world as being a slick world. I saw it as a tainted world and it was just... Too slick a movie with the slow motion fights, which wasn't what Watchmen was about. Um, I've got a soft spot for it. I enjoyed it when I first saw it because I thought uh, it captured the essence of it. I've had the opportunity to read a couple of the scripts that didn't get made, and there were one or two with the right director. I think would have been the masterpiece that we we would have hoped for and expected. Um, while it was reverent to the to the comic, it was perhaps too reverent. 
Which brings us on to our one neat thing. What have you got for us uh, this week? So my one neat thing has been around for a while. I've been latched onto this for a good year now. And I keep introducing new people to it by getting them to watch an episode. And they love it and they go and seek out other ones. As much as Screen Rant can churn out some rubbish, one thing on their channel which is worth watching on YouTube is Ryan George's Pitch Meetings. I don't know anything about this, so so fill me in and fill the folks now, in. Now, if you think Cinema Sins, where they poke fun at films and point out, point out the contrances, think of that, but done in a short time frame and a bit snappier. It's Ryan George plays two characters. He plays a writer and a producer, and it's the writer pitching an idea for a film. So they'll pick one which has just come out or just come out on home release, or maybe just classic ones like Home, home Alone things. And he'll point out all the silliness of plots but it's a great analysis of films, even ones that you love, to make you look at them and go, huh, yeah, lots of contrivances. The Sixth Sense one is absolute genius. That was um, released not long ago. How do we find it? If you go onto YouTube and just search for Pitch Meeting, it's on the Screen Rant channel if you want to subscribe to Screen Rant. And he usually does one episode per week, sometimes does an extra one. He's also got his own channel where he does similar kind of things, but it's just real life kind of, it's not talking about films. It'd be like the first person to dress up as a cat. And it would be like him playing two people, one person dressing up and the other person being completely confused as to what's going on. Great comedy. He's got such wit to him. Cinema Sins, as much as I enjoy it, sometimes it seems they're being particularly vicious for the sake of being vicious. Whereas he feels like he's just having fun, like with the like typical contrivances that you get and the typical tropes that you get in films. Well worth checking out. I guarantee that once you watch one, you'll then start to fall into that rabbit hole of going back like Matrix. Okay, I want to see what he says about that. Transformers, what does he say about that? And you'll work through them and just find yourself chuckling along. We should put a, a link in our show descriptor. We will do. Uh, my neat thing is I had a birthday the other day and Happy my... Happy birthday. Thank you very much. You don't uh, look any older than 21. I, I'm glad you said that. The cryogenic freezer is working perfectly. <laughs> so I got two T-shirts bought for me, uh, inspired by Cliff Booth, who was the character Brad Pitt played. Once in, upon a time Once in, in Once Upon a Time Hollywood. And you've seen where these T-shirts. So I got the two of those T-shirts. And they're from a company called Redbubble, redbubble.com, which have got a great line in T-shirts. I'm a bit of a sucker for a good logo, especially if it's a clever film logo or music logo, branded T-shirt, and I think they're fantastic. So my neat thing is redbubble.com. Uh, they've got some fantastic T-shirts. And you can, if you follow us, are you on Instagram? I am. I never use it. Yeah. Uh, if you want to follow us, uh, I'm on Instagram. You can have a look at my birthday stash, including the T-shirts I've got. But my neat thing is redbubble.com. Uh, and that's it for the film file for this episode. Uh, I've been Lee Ford. I've been Andy Meekin. And unless Galactus eats the world, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And that's it for this episode. <laughs> Galactus. Do I need the Galactus? Did it work? It was working. It yeah. was working. I don't know where I was going with it.